Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. improves children's health by developing better treatments and technologies. Ranked number five in the nation, we take on the most complex, rare, and life-threatening conditions because all children deserve a healthy future. Learn more at childrensnational.org slash innovation. summer and you're listening and watching launch left podcast is space for fame creatives to launch the next wave of music rebels an intentional space to highlight and empower all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice but a necessity welcome to the episode we have a very special guest again every time we have a special guest a very special guest i see you have your trusty pencil will you be taking notes during this I was just doing the crossword and just still in the same position, so still have my pencil in hand. It's interesting. We couldn't be more different when it comes to crosswords. I, I have tried. It gets so frustrating to me to do a crossword, but it's something you are obsessed with, basically. It's like your favorite thing, right? The Sunday New York Times crossword? That's yeah, but it's just like... Yeah, it's just a part of your brain that you, if you exercise it, then it's something that you like to do, you know? Yeah. It's like bizarrely just has, it's like trivia or something. It's like knowing things. But I do it with um, my kid's grandma and we've been doing it. She takes pictures of it and the, of the crossword because she gets it. And then I print it out and then we FaceTime and we do it together. And she's a 77 year old East coast educated public school teacher for 35 years, powerhouse, brilliant lady. And so she gets all of the clues that I don't get and it's a good match. And we do have a lot of fun. Hi guys. Hi. What a beautiful space. Is that a circular room you're in? Yes. Look at this. It's a hundred-year-old kind of stone yurt. It's interesting how some people, maybe who didn't have families, were like, all right, you, you know, someone who had a bigger place, maybe. You guys are going to, we're going to quarantine together. Yeah. Which I think was really smart if you could do that. If you had a well, you know place to do that, but if there's yeah. kids and old people, you don't want to do that. Right, that's the thing. Just that is, that's the thing. Yeah, that is the thing. You know, like nobody's gonna want to be the one who was like the the carrier in the house no. family and have some exactly. Family. Though kids seem to be that Star Trek episode where all the grown ups are gone, <laughs> <laughs> all the grups. <laughs> grups which was the name of a punk band that somebody I knew was in. Either it was Daniela C or it was Billy Muni, member from Lost in Space, who started doing punk stuff in the oh 70s. You really are the a little man. kid from, well, I have the knowledge of a hundred, a hundred year old. And you know, all of, it's just so weird. The people who have passed are all these legendary people, you know, John Prine and Hal Wilner and I know 
Adam Schlesinger. And I don't know if Marianne Faithful's out of the hospital yet. I know. Fucking, you know, Boris Johnson is, but which is good. I don't wish anything bad on anyone, but. But you hope his hair is when he's out? His hair, he, he lost his hairdo there. They can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> it's misplaced. Knowledge of a 101-year-old, do you do crosswords? No. Do you guys? I don't. We were just having that discussion before you came on. Summer is an avid crossword puzzler. Oh, so you obviously do, you do it in pen probably, right? No, look. In my last puzzle, it was like, you know, something about playwright Mitchell. And I was like, why? Yeah. Sorry, wasn't you. Was, who was it? I think Anais is what, look, this is, I have to print Yeah, she did Hades Town. Yeah, that's it. I think of her more as a dramatic songwriter, but. Oh, you just said that how you think of her, not necessarily like what label she should have. You have so many labels. How do you think of yourself? I try to avoid the labels, but not in that old-fashioned way. It was like, I'm not gay. I'm just me. I mean, I do feel <laughs> kind of like, a, you know, that's, that was the sort of punk rock closet case-ness. Remember, it's like, stop labeling me when they were just terrified. Like OJ would say he wasn't black, he was OJ? That same right. sort of mentality? Yeah. Well, probably. So they, you know, I'm not black, I'm OJ because I am beyond race and I've succeeded where I wanted to, which is in the right. master the master race or the monoculture or whatever. And my heroes, you know, Bob Mould and Michael Stipe and those people who were kind of closeted at the beginning and, you know, then realized it wasn't a big deal. But they were coming up in the time of AIDS too, and I understand that. I was younger, so I wasn't, I was safe from the beginning and I wasn't afraid of, of the, you know, the history and the joy of, of being queer and, and uh, thought, you know, we're going to save the world and save each other. And of course, the government was not helping and many, many people died. And it sounds weirdly familiar to right now. You know, when, the, when this is all settled, I hope there's an accounting, you know, of the, of the failures too, and the heroes. I, I'm encouraging people who are away from home to donate their place to healthcare workers who can't go home from work. Mm. You know, actually Airbnb to their credit has an option where you can give it to a healthcare worker. These people are heroes. They're just, you know, with no help from the federal government or minimal help, you know, hoax, it's a hoax as people die. You know, it's just, it brings me back to, to the 80s and 90s. Like from the, your original questions, I, I don't like to say I'm any one thing because it just limits things. And, you know, I grew up in the 70s where it was okay to do a million things and not define yourself. Um, and I think I, my mind is still stuck in, in that creatively in the 70s, if not in other ways. Um, and, you know, chameleons like Bowie and who were, you know, writers and directors and producers and did a bunch of things uh, were my heroes. You said that it wasn't that by the time, like because your heroes, like Michael Stipe and stuff were, were older than you and, and that they sort of started out in their careers in a sort of closeted way, but that it was much easier for you. What about within your family? Was that, I know your dad, right, is military based and did you feel that same sort of um, 
Was there an ease? Well, he was actually a closet case, which I discuss in Anthem. Dennis O'Hare plays my dad in it. And he was a general and uh, a very beloved leader. Like people just loved him because he was really funny. And he taught me in a way how to direct, you know, to delegate and just say, I don't know, surprise me, you know, and, and like keep the jokes going and keep it light. Um, but pull your weight, do your work, you know, anyone apathetic. That's the only time I ever get angry. It's not when, you know, a rainstorm destroys a shot. It's like when someone is lazy and doesn't want to be there. When there's so many people who do, that makes me mad. Um, so he, too, and he wanted me to be in the army and probably be a general. And uh, when I came out a couple of years later, he wrote me this letter saying that he had been with many men, you know, before he met my mom and, and then he did the right thing. And, and I can too. And I said, I'm not marrying mom because you <laughs> married her. Um, and then, you know, she has Alzheimer's now and she kind of knew deep down they were very Catholic and they loved each other. It just probably wasn't very sexual, which is probably why it lasted so long. Right. <laughs> which is why I recommend old-fashioned gay marriages, which is fag and fag-hag, which will last forever. When you came out, it was a little freer than, let's say, some of your heroes, but from then till now, have you seen, have you watched the landscape change, and do you feel that it changed fast enough, or that there's a lot more inclusivity, or uh, what is your opinion on that? Well, we come out of a creative world, so even then it was weirdly closeted, you know, in the eighties or before that, you know, I was in theater school at Northwestern and all these Queens were in the closet. I was like, what the fuck? And, and AIDS itself radicalized it. You know, it felt selfish to be in the closet. You know, I would go to these auditions in LA in the late eighties, you know, for head of the class and MacGyver with my silence equals death <laughs> pen. You know, don't tell me how to fucking live. You can tell me how to act. So I would, you know, I would, turn down jobs that felt too bro-y or whatever and people were shocked and but I had great teachers who told me that saying no to something that doesn't feel right is is as can be as powerful as saying yes to something that does feel right and it narrows you it doesn't it keeps you out of you know whoredom uh you know there's nothing wrong with sex work but whoredom implies you're giving up part of yourself that you shouldn't maybe it felt selfish to be in the closet when people were dying and, and Reagan and Bush were doing nothing. I was out since I was doing my action movies, uh, Band of the Hand and these movies in the 80s. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, and going out, you know, in LA, like the first 70s club in the 80s, which was uncool, um, <laughs> where you'd play the Ramones and Partridge Family and, you know, <laughs> and Mavis Staples. So it was my culture was coming out of weirdly out of clubs, but the underground clubs. And that felt like a weird kind of fuck you to the homogeneity of, of Hollywood where I was making my money. And then there was theater, which was freer, uh, but people were dying around me. And that DJ died, died of AIDS. And, and I only survived because I never got fucked and I came out right when it hit, so I was safe from the beginning. 
you know, and I still have a problem being fucked because I have a flashbacks to that time, you know. Um, now, no one's uh, if you have such a so you have a tough time getting fucked, what? Uh, but you like to explore sexuality. Are you making notes on that? On this fucking, you're like, you know, <laughs> diagram. I did because I grew up Catholic, so sex was the scariest and most interesting thing ever, and being gay was even worse. So, you know, butt fucking was the worst. It, you know, it's a very, you know, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but you know. I have a prostate, which is supposed to be a plus for that. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was like, it became metaphoric. Not only was it tied to death, but it was tied to a lack of control and an invasion and vulnerability and all those things that were very scary for me outside of AIDS. You know, they were emotionally scary. And then later when it was safer, I, I, even then I was scared, you know, probably partly because my boyfriend had the biggest dick in, in the Eastern seaboard, but it was like, <laughs> it was, and he was, he was my sweetie. Um, he was in the band that I developed Hedvig with and he passed away in 2004. He had a substance abuse problem, um, but loved him very much. And uh, in some ways, Anthem homunculus is, my grappling with that, with his death, and with all the death in my life, um, the way Short Bus was grappling with sex. You know, my second film was, you know, extremely explicit with actors who were willing to go there for dramatic reasons, not for porn reasons, you know. And it was a really good experience uh, with people who I cast before I had a story because there were so few, few people who might want to go there that I just cast interesting people first and then through improv, we created the script uh, for the piece. And back then, of course, the tension was more from a right-wing Christian thing. Now, I don't know if I could make that film because you know, from the left, there's more panic about sex in a way that's you know, in some ways very justified because it has to do with people dealing with, with violation. Mm -hmm. uh, but then you sometimes get uh, inherent American puritism in the you know in in people who are considered liberal, i.e., how dare I you know if I was making it now how dare I a cis white male have an Asian woman have an orgasm in front of him you know there's mm -hmm. sex equals exploitation mm -hmm. for some you know in, in the the Me Too era of now which is which I support you know this people who are need to be stopped there's sometimes a little bit of erotophobia that comes into that as well you know andrea dworkin all sex is violation you know which is a weird puritan thing too so you get a lot of young people scared about consent in those all those things and scared about real live interactions which are messy unlike masturbating to porn or doing something online so you get fewer and fewer people actually having sex. You know, the curve is going way down. And in, in Corona times, of course, there's very little. It's interesting though. I wonder, I mean, I always think about consent and youth. Yeah. 
you know, because we're not fully developed um, often when we've already begun some of us to have sex and have sexual relations. And there's so much wrapped up in, in what, what our bodies want, what, what our minds want and what we think the other wants. Um, like, do I say yes to John Cameron Mitchell, who's making this, you know, exploratory film about sex, uh, or do I, or do I not? Do I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like um, I'm certainly not a purist, but I definitely, um, in in this time also, and looking back on my youth, I I think about that a lot. About how much, as a young person, we what consent what consent actually means, because we don't really yeah. even know necessarily ourselves what we want. No, and that's but also the idea of safe play and safe yeah. exploration. Yeah. is the key you know mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not just the idea of being afraid of someone hurting you or taking advantage of you it's also being afraid of these things within yourself that you might love mm -hmm. and you you can't you know people confuse the two and if you know our generation um we didn't have as much porn flying around so we kind of invented sex you know, or we had I, ideally someone who was a little bit more experienced who could gently, you know, in a safe way and, and, and teach you stuff mm -hmm. without taking advantage of you, mm -hmm. which is what happened to me. And you invent your own sex. And there's something beautiful about two people who haven't starting it, you know, and that has been taken away partially by porn because the images are so there that especially for young guys they try to imitate it and if it's not just like that they, they get you know their dick gets soft and you get 19 year olds with, with you know with impotence problems which was never a problem before mm -hmm. um but it's all in their head now you know and guys with good intentions and women having strong feelings and then thinking these strong feelings someone's going to get hurt here I'm wanting it more than them. Am I raping them? Which might actually, you know, so the, all of these things just stop people, I think, from having sex. And they just end up just jerking off or doing something safe, um, you know, the, or, or simple, you know. And I think it's kind of crushing a natural flow, you know, of safety and play, you know. And that comes from, you know, a lot of images and stories about abuse that is real. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, it's for kids now, which who seem to not as much get into relationships, you know, until they're out of college, even. I don't know if that's the case with your kids, you know, the idea of mute uh, of a committed, you know, boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever is kind of passe mom, right? It's like... Do you go about all your art from the same place? I moved around a lot as a kid. I was an army brat, uh, like Michael Stipe, like a lot of artists actually. So you don't really feel like you fit in and often end up with the, the freaks and whatever, whoever they may be. They might be the stoners, they might be the drama kids, they might be the... The army life was strange because you, in one way it was good because it was, it's the 
one functioning socialist state in the U.S. socialist system. <laughs> you know, it's a socialist state for rednecks. They don't know what they got. This we could take in a, we could take examples from them for our country. You know, you get health healthcare, housing. You get you know you get your stuff if you do your job. Everybody was from somewhere else, and it was not a big deal. So I never understood small town bullshit. I never understood judgment from national origin or or anything because you, it was what you brought to the party. So the army was almost like New York or LA. It's like where you're from is just a conversation starter. It's not a judgment, right? So for me, I guess it came from that outsidership, being the new guy in town all the time, being the gay guy closeted for a while, being afraid of my feminine side and trying to, to erase that or crush it until I got to got bored with that and did uh, created Hedvig with my composer Stephen Trask at this club called Squeeze Box in the early nineties. I, I was always. Did you used to go? Oh, Squeeze Box, big time. Fun, right? Did you go, Rain? I mean, probably. I have a really bad memory. I think it was before you, you came. You would remember to New York. that. It yeah, it was before you came to New York. It was uh, early 90s, 93, 94, or was 94, 95. Started in 94, yeah. Yeah. And it was, Rain, it was um, a true punk rock drag club, predominantly queer. Lily uh, of the Valleys used to. I know, Michael Cavendish. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just texted with him. He's a good friend of mine, so I've, of course I've heard about it. I just don't know if I ever stepped foot in their summer. Joey yeah. Arias, right? Sure. Well, I remember, I mean, it was happening in LA too. Interestingly, drag culture has its different uh, feelings in different towns. And it was always a little scary to me being afraid of my feminine side. And uh, in LA, you know, there was vaginal cream Davis, you know, Vag, <laughs> we knew her, who was a, you know, six foot five, built like a linebacker black valley girl um who was punk rock and would just crack me up and she had a, a band called black fag Whoa. <laughs> which i thought was so cool so smart yeah and and the la queens were harder core i think they were rebelling against you know the hollywood shit and they were like you know hardcore um, San Francisco was warmer, you know, it was more hippie, you know, Tranny Shack was an early, uh, it was inspired by Squeezebox and started by my friend Hecklina, who's actually here in Palm Springs. We've been doing shows in on, her, on her patio. Right. So Dragon New York was obviously kind of came out of, you know, uh, the, you know, the Warhol and then the punk scene. So it was harder. It was more like, fuck you. And it was more, uh, you know, the, the great queen who was from Atlanta originally was Jane County. You know, she was the great punk rock queen, <laughs> Jane County, who was originally Wayne County, uh, which she named herself because Iggy Pop was from Wayne County, uh, Michigan. And people like uh, Lily of the Valley, um, Mistress Formica, Miss Guy. Mistress Formica, oh, I loved She was the host. Uh, Sherry Vine, who was incredible. I was just texting with her. Um, we're all still barely alive. Um, actually, the very first live stream performance was from Squeezebox in 1994. Some queen had some early internet interest and 
they did a show called Sex, Drags, and Rock and Roll. Oh my God, and so great. It was fantastic. This guy named Jimmy James, my favorite moment was Jimmy James, who was a traditional drag queen who did Marilyn Monroe. Mm -hmm. um, it was not punk rock, was encouraged to do Stairway to Heaven um, as Marilyn Monroe. Sort of the idea was it was after she was dead and she was forced to sing the song and there were giant cue cards in front of her. <laughs> There's a lady <laughs> And it was so brilliant. And she could sing that. She could scream it. And it was all these things coming together that I loved. So... I was finally, my male, my female, my whatever side were coalescing in punk, which was always very queer. You know, like, I think of the first punk as Little Richard, you know, who's yeah. a drag queen, yeah. totally. who was like screamer. You know, David Bowie took his, said Little Richard was his, his biggest hero, you know, and Lou Reed and Iggy Pop, of, of, Pop, of course, so all of these, you know, queerdos um, were the basis of rock and roll. So it's like, bring it back, you know? And Hedvig was a smaller character in a piece I was writing, you know, more traditional piece, theater piece, with Stephen Trask, who was running the house band at Squeezebox. And he wrote, I, I gave him this Plato myth of the origin of love, and that was our first song, and we sang it at Squeezebox, and... And it went so well that the Woodstock 94 scout was there, invited us to play at Woodstock 94, which was that disastrous Woodstock. I didn't go. Um, and then I was asked to host, uh, step in as a host, you know, when uh, Debbie Harry sang, you know, and it was just like, she was kind of out of fashion then, but not to the gays, not to us, no. yeah. never out. Never. And it was the most ecstatic show I've ever seen at Don Hill's Debbie Harry. People were just like tendrils of an anemone. It was, they were just in heaven. So that's where my, you know, doing drag for the first time, suddenly my feminine side was as important as my masculine and they blurred. And from that point on, I found, I used to not find feminine guys attractive because of my own femme phobia. And after that, it cured me immediately. Wow. You know, and you know how some people on these dating apps are like, no blacks, just a preference or, you know, no, it's just like, you know, on Grindr. It's like, you know what? Aversions are not preferences. Yeah. You know, there's things that you're, that turn your head, right? Maybe mm -hmm. you grew up and there was a blonde babysitter and, you know, you see a blonde now and you're, you, you just have a, that's called fetish. That's called you know, a type, but an aversion tends to come from trauma and it comes from, also comes from society telling this, you there's something wrong with a feminine boy, a black boy, a whatever, you know. So when you think it's just a preference that you're not into Asian people, think again, you know, it might actually be someone else telling you what to like or not like. Um, so I, I cured myself of that femphobia and and integrated myself and, and realized that the ultimate person is using all of these energies within us, you know? And if you don't use them, it's kind of like 
an animal that's died in your wall. My last gig was getting an award in Portland. I was also doing live listening parties for my anthem homunculus, you know, the marathon, like all 10 episodes. I did one in Portland on the eighth and then an award on the ninth and right. That was probably the last event in Portland too. So what award? Oh, Come you know on, the ones where you tell. show up and you get it. Uh, it was called Cinema Unbound, <laughs> and uh, which is very vague. And uh, <laughs> Todd Haynes and I got one uh, from the Portland Film Festival, which is good. Company. I'm starting to, yeah, I'm starting to get these little mid-career awards, which just means I'm still alive and will show up. Um, not dead yet. <laughs> not dead yet. Um, in Palm Springs, gay, but not dead. Gay, but not dead. I have like three friends here and we're, we're trying to make uh, sourdough bread and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's, it's a living bread. Yeah. It can live for centuries. They've, I just, seriously, if you keep feeding it, it can just stay alive. They've, they've start, they've done, you know, whatever it is, research on DNA, yeah. Yeah, until like until they can't find the ancestor anymore. <laughs> it's like the longest lived thing in the world, and it can probably eat COVID for breakfast. Between bouts of of sadness at, at death, certain people, and just a general panic and despair, there's a I'm sort of loving being here and reading and and for a while you know i was usually i'm very task-based i have to be writing something and i'm like let mm-hmm. go of that and reading some beautiful things i'm reading um every day on instagram i do a a divination with walt whitman's leaves of grass i ask a question and then spin and then find the answer you know in, in the poem i also have a les a couple of lesbian pastimes uh, i call them lesbian because they're crafty and natural <laughs> So I, when I was doing Hedwig, I really got into um, essential oils, which, you know, and there's, of course, non-essential oils now, according to the government, uh, but essential oils <laughs> uh, and, make, and making blends, uh, you know, and giving them as gifts, you know, and I can't measure them so they would come out however they came out. So I started doing that with, uh, you know, 190 proof Everclear and essential oils and making hand sanitizers for people. God, you're so sweet. So I was thinking, you know, I was a Cub Scout, you know, thinking of what you can do to be prepared, but in a gay way, you know. And now I'm making uh, CBD sleep aids um, with, you know, I find like really cheap CBD in Colorado and really cheap THC California and then make my own blends for people to sleep better because you need a little bit of THC with the CBD. Really? Maybe that's what your dreams, maybe your dreams are. I've been doing that for about a year. So I I think it's about the COVID actually, or maybe the chocolate I took right before I went to bed. Um, So it's all good. Are you in a relationship right now? Shut up. How about this? How about we talk about your launched artist who's, who's standing by and, and was going to come in? Do you want to, are you ready to talk to him or? Yes. Caden Gray. 
Kaden, uh, we were, I was just talking about how I listened to one song of yours that was on like a group album. I don't know what they're called. I don't know why I'm calling it a group album, but you a, know. A compi compilation album. <laughs> um, and it had, to term. me, it had like this sort of like bebop 60s vibe -io. Yeah, I, I'm guessing you, I'm guessing you heard the it's where the boys are. It was my cover yeah. of where the boys are. The Connie Francis, yeah. yeah. Uh yeah, I was a child actor. I did theater growing up and uh my first big gig was on the national Broadway tour of the Full Monty. And so I did that and musical theater was like everything to me growing up. <laughs> I was definitely a musical theater be. queen, yeah. Um, but then when I, around when I turned 14, I started to discover that what I liked the most about performing and about, uh, you know, using all my talents that I was honing was being creative. And a lot of times with like the acting I was doing, I worked, once I came back from that tour, I started working for Disney Channel and doing TV stuff like that, teen shows, stuff like that. And it just was not what I was, looking for what out of what I was pursuing um, I discovered that what I love about it is being creative so with songwriting I'm able to create the entire world myself use every single talent that I've um, you know or every single thing that I love to do sing uh, just put it all together and um, create my own world yeah and get i get to make what i want to make you know well in music for sure i noticed that too it was like it's very different than you know being hired as an actor you're at the mercy of it's a beautiful collaboration with all art forms but you're still one cog in the wheel whereas if you're writing your own songs and producing and you have more of like oh i'm running the whole ship it's a different it's a different right time, sure and especially the acting that i was doing i was like doing Disney Channel shows and Nickelodeon shows, which were great, they were fun experiences, but literally people will say, I want you to say it like this. I want you to go up at the end. I want to, right. so there's no creativity, right. there's no artistry in it. Um, right. It's purely business, which is fine because that's what it is, but that's not why I started to pursue this as a kid. It's because I like to be creative and I like to sing and perform and put it all together um so yeah and whether anyone listens to it or not like i just get off on making stuff that i want to make you know? i have to ask is is that your stage name caden gray or were you just fortunate enough to be born, born such a it? name my mom is very creative so i'm fortunate enough all my brothers we have interesting names and then really boring middle names so um what's your yeah, name it's real michael it's fine. Kaden Michael. Well, it's Gray. fine. Yeah, but, but they, they gave us all ordinary middle names so that if we didn't like our funkier first names, we could use our middle name. You have all um, brother siblings? Yeah, I have three brothers. And you too, right, JMC? I do have, uh, I, we were four. One of my brothers died when he was young, but I have two younger brothers, uh, one in LA who's making. I'm producing his fictional podcast uh, starring Ed Asner, which is, he's Whoa. writing it now, called The Laundronauts. It's for kids, too. And my other brother's in Colorado Springs near my mom. Thank you all so much. Thank you guys so much. It's seriously such a pleasant, exciting surprise for me to be involved in any way. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. 
Oh, you guys, everybody take care. This is Soft Sisters' new single, How I Do My Hair Now. Tell me, was that look in his eyes a disguise? Tell me, do I even want to guess the answers? Yes, how I wanted more than that too. Bye.
Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields. 